Yo, what's up, everybody? It's Bo Spencer with the Outside Voice Studios podcast. My guest today is a Seattle-based artist and designer, Ten Hundred. He has murals across America, Japan, and Brazil. He also has his own shop and gallery, Statics, in Pioneer Square, where he curates a vibrant arsenal of apparel, merch, and artwork. He's as humble as he is hardworking and talented, just an all-around great human and creative powerhouse. I really enjoyed our conversation. He's a wealth of knowledge, and I'm excited to have him on the show. Without further ado, Ten Hundred. Hun, what up, brother? How you doing, man? Good, man. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm super honored and really excited to be on the podcast. Oh, absolutely, man. I'm so excited to have you. I know that you're a busy guy and uh, you're about to go on a Euro, uh, Euro tour, so I wanted to catch you before you went out. And then also your YouTube channel just hit 100,000 subscribers. Congrats, man. Thank you so much. It's exciting. It's it's really crazy. It's really, really crazy to think about 100,000 people. Like, I can't even picture a group of 100,000 people in my mind. I don't even know what that would look like. So it's super trippy, super surreal. And I'm just like really thankful that people seem to dig the stuff that I'm putting out there. Hell yeah, man. That's crazy. Uh, Did you know when you first started, did you ever have any idea that it would take off the way it did? No. Well, when I first started YouTube, I just, uh, I thought it was one of the best platforms to be able to share my story like on Instagram you just post a picture and somebody maybe looks at it for two seconds and then like keeps scrolling but with YouTube you know it seems like a really fair exchange of time like I put all this time into the art and I put all this time into the video and editing it and then in exchange my audience gives me five minutes ten minutes fifteen minutes of their time and feel like I really appreciate their time and to me it's like my favorite platform to share my art because I can also share myself and share my story totally that's something about your your channel and your videos there's such you know there is that aspect of personability you know I mean this is this is our like third time talking over the phone but I feel like I've known you for a little bit man so it's funny how you kind of you know build build a relationship or a uh you know a, a person in your mind and it's uh it's really cool um was that so when did you start your YouTube channel well, I uploaded my first video to YouTube like nine years ago, ten years ago. Um, I made a little documentary about a band I was in called Mad Rad. And then it kind of lay dormant for like five years after that. But I started posting art videos <clears throat> like four years ago. And then I think I started taking it more seriously and uploading more regularly like two or three years ago. So... The the long and short of it is is that I've been doing YouTube videos for like 10 years, but it's only been like two years where I'm actually like really focusing on it. Yeah, that and that's crazy, you know, how long it takes sometimes for the for it to catch fire, you know? Um I just started a YouTube channel last year and it's uh it's a slow burn, we'll say that. But I'm also uh you know, we were talking a little bit before about, you know, going back to fundamentals. And then um, you, you spoke about Skillshare, which is one of your sponsors. That's something that I'm doing very heavy right now is going back to the fundamentals, you know, relearning how to draw, sitting down and actually like unlearning and then learning, you know, the proper technique on things. And uh, your YouTube channel is great for that, man. Um, I've I watch your videos and I've learned a lot, you know, um, 
who are a couple people that you've really, you know, learned from? Are there any mentors that you've had? Um, just to touch on your, the first thing you were talking a little bit, but my, like my formula has always been, uh, putting my art out there, but then also like giving people an inside scoop on what I'm actually doing. And I feel like so many artists are really like kind of precious and secretive with their information. I don't know if they think they're like, people are going to steal their style or whatever, but like, I'm always down to kind of like share what I got going on because I'm completely self-taught and I learned so much stuff from all of my artist homies that I'm close with. A bunch of people in the Seattle art scene were always kind of like asking each other questions and asking for advice on the best type of, you know, supplies or the best techniques. And then, you know, YouTube, like I learned a ton of stuff from YouTube. So I've taken so much out of that community. Like I figured maybe I should put some back into that community. So I'm always trying to like share my knowledge, do a little bit of teaching. I don't want to do just like a straight up raw tutorial channel. I want to like have dope art and dope music and have fun and tell a story and play around. But I also want to try and try and share my knowledge a little bit and hopefully people can get something from that. Hell yeah. Um, well, shit, I know that I definitely have. Um, did you have any, you said that your friends in Seattle, the art homies, those were kind of your, uh, you know, who you bounced ideas off of? Yeah. It's cool nice. because, like, I, I run a shop and a gallery in Seattle. So, like, half of it is, like, tons and tons of my art merchandise because I'm, like, all about <laughs> merchandising my artwork. And then the other half is a gallery, and we have a new art show each month at the gallery. And before that, I curated, like, a couple other galleries. And I feel like when you actually, like, curate a gallery, you get to know so many artists because, like, every single month you're working with a new batch of artists And, of course, we're going to, like, chop it up and, like, talk to each other and share knowledge. And Seattle has, like, a super thriving art scene right now. And also, I've been here for, like, 14 years. And when I first moved to Seattle or, like, when I first kind of started getting into the art scene here, it was a lot more competitive and secretive and you know, each artist was kind of out for themselves. But I've watched it evolve a little bit. And now it really seems like a community where we understand that when one of us succeeds, all of us succeed a little bit. Um, and people are really open, <clears throat> open and friendly. And there's like a, a bunch of different like weekly drink and draw groups that meet up and like the artists just like vibe out and like draw with each other and drink. And it's just like, way more community oriented i think now in seattle than it has been in the past and yeah there's some really really popular famous artists here and i'm friends with a few of them and i learned like so much from those folks and even the artists that aren't like as popular or successful like we can all share our our knowledge and our info with each other and just like all elevate ourselves <laughs> when one person elevates everyone elevates Totally, man. I'm. Uh, it's amazing to hear you say that. I'm a firm believer in community, and um, especially in the arts world, or in, or in anything. You know, if you knew better, you'd do better. So why not teach everybody? You know, uh, okay. Well, here I can make this easier on you. You know, I can. You know, you can get this paint here for a little bit cheaper. You know, whatever the uh, whatever the information tends to be. 
um, you know, building each other up instead of that weird sense of competition, you know, where everybody's kind of out to get each other. And yeah, that, that secretiveness, you know, that you're talking about, kind of like the cool kids club, you know, but uh, working that that sounds amazing. I've never been to Seattle. I definitely want to come up there and check it out. Um, you so we t- we touched on your uh, store a little bit. Statics. Um, when did that all come together? Uh, it's been about a year and a half, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, I opened it, what, geez, November of 2017. Um, yeah, I, I had a a shop before, um, actually I had like two other shops before, but they were both in partnerships with like other bigger businesses. It was like more of like a side shop that like featured a bunch of my art Um, and that was cool because I didn't have to take on like all the risk of opening a business all by myself. And it gave me a lot of like knowledge on how to run a shop with that sort of safety net of having it be associated with another business. But then I was like, all right, I'm ready. I'm going to go do this on my own. It's going to be like clothing and music and art and like a bunch of merchy stuff like stickers and skateboards and hats. And then it's really cool because I found this building and it's like 3,700 square feet and it has this natural like divider wall down the middle with like these big doorways. So on one side of that divider wall is like my shop and my merchandise. And then on the other side is a big gallery and we have like super popping art shows every month. It's down in Pioneer Square, which is like Seattle's art district. And every first Thursday, there's like the biggest art walk in the city So I'm like nestled down with like all these elite high-end galleries and it's cool because like the, those more high-end galleries, like really like my gallery because I'm not really competing with them at all. I represent a younger, uh, like group of artists, a less like popular and famous. It's a little bit more accessible art. It's a little bit more affordable art. So I feel like the community has really like embraced my gallery because I'm not trying to do what all the other galleries are doing. And it just makes the whole art walk, the whole art district, like a little bit more fun. And that was something that I was really surprised by because like, I always saw these like really high end elite galleries as like, I don't know, kind of like stuffy and like pretentious. But the fact of the matter is that they're like super friendly, super nice. And like, really supportive of me and the artists that I represent. And it's just like good vibes down there, man. It's really fun. That's great, man. Yeah. Your, your shop is amazing. You guys have merch for days and it seems to be moving. I mean, that's one thing when it came to, uh, all your t-shirts, man. Um, cause how many, how many t-shirts do you think that you guys have in that shop, you know, and, and by like design, <laughs> the amount of designs or the amount of like actual, like physical garments in my shop. No, I know that that's probably a lot. <laughs> Just by design, <laughs> how many different designs do you think you've got in there? Um, I'd have to kind of cruise through my website, but probably like somewhere between 30 and 50, I think, is a safe estimate. That's sick, man. That's sick. And those are on everything, man. Those are on hats, T-shirts, leggings. You guys got your own underwear that's awesome. <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're called 10 hundies i thought on the underwear ten like 10 hundies that is amazing yeah. oh my like God. the name my <laughs> friend like my friend just shot me a text and he was like 10 hundies and i was like okay that name is so good that i have to produce underwear now oh that's perfect man yeah you can't you can't pass that up 
<laughs> yeah, we got, I mean, we got hoodies and hats and crew neck sweaters, t-shirts, long sleeves, skateboards, stickers, mugs, patches. Like, um, I, I've always felt like, especially with my art style, the style of art that I make, I want to make my art affordable and accessible no matter what your income bracket is. Like, if you like my art and you want to support me and you think what I'm doing is dope, hopefully I have something available for you no matter what your income bracket is. We have, you know, we have stuff in there for $1, like little buttons and little, like, black and white stickers, all the way up to, like, thousands of dollars for, like, original art pieces and, you know, and then, like, murals is, like, even more than that. So no matter where you're at, on the spectrum hopefully if you dig what i do there's a way that you can like support me you know get get some merchandise to like slap a sticker on your water bottle or whatever you want to do i just want to have my art be accessible for anyone who wants to get into it that's amazing man and that right there that ideology that way of thinking that mentality should be every artist mentality because we get to we get to just have fun for a living you know like we get to paint and create that that's how we make our money you know we're not sitting in a in a stuffy shop somewhere you know sweating over a keyboard and if we are then it's because we're editing a video or editing a podcast or something like that but um i think that being an artist is such a uh Man, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that uh, I have this path and this journey. And I think that accessibility, you keep uh, mentioning accessibility and affordability with your art. You've worked with several galleries before you had your own. How, um, how was that accessibility? How did that feel like? Because oftentimes, you're right, the galleries, especially from an outsider, we look at the galleries and they might seem pretentious or they might seem, you know, they just seem like trophy cases for the rich and entitled. You know, did you see a difference in, um, in any of those galleries while you were working there and curating? My experience with galleries other than my own gallery uh, usually the type of galleries who show my art have like kind of a similar vibe to my gallery. Cause I make like cartoony, bright, colorful, weird, trippy, funny art. So like, I don't think I've ever really been shown in what I would consider like a high end gallery. <laughs> um, yeah. so it's cool to me as a, as a independent artist, who's also a businessman, for me personally, on my career path, doing gallery shows is like the absolute lowest priority to me because it takes a huge amount of work to do a full show. And then the galleries will take most of most of them will take like 40 to 50 percent of the sales. And I am in there selling like a one-off basically, you know, like an original piece of art. I get to sell it one time. It's pretty awesome. makes me feel good, but I would much rather sell, you know, a few hundred t-shirts than one painting. And it's just the, like the amount of work that it takes and the amount of time that I have to dedicate to that one thing and not be able to focus on a lot of the other things that I have going on. It's not like super desirable to, especially when it comes to solo shows with group shows. Like if somebody's like, Hey, make one painting like around this theme. That's really cool to me. Yeah. Because there's like, you know, 20, 30 artists all doing the same thing. All of their fans come, all of my fans come and we all get to kind of share in each other's fans. And maybe the people came to like, check out this one artist piece, but they're there already and they're checking out all the other artists piece. So it's like, 
a good sort of like community advertising type of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, the galleries that I've worked with, all of them have been like super cool, really like great to work with. It's been a really fun experience. I don't have any, like, I guess I have like one horror story from a show that I did in Denver, but we we won't even talk about that. Uh, (laughs) but I mean, it's to me, like, it's just not worth the time investment that it takes to do that right now for me as an artist because I guess I can't sell my original art for a high enough price to justify the time that it takes. I I completely agree with that. I think that, you know, and galleries oftentimes you're doing it just for that name. And check this out, I didn't go to art school. I'm, I'm self-taught also. I don't have a degree from some prestigious college that automatically puts me at some value, you know, on the hierarchy of artists. You know, I'm not, I'm not automatically on there. So I've, you know, as self-taught and then, you know, as a self-employed artist, we got to start from the bottom. We got to claw our way up. And um, getting to that gallery level is kind of like, I guess for some artists, it's more of a staple um, for like their resume. But I'm with you. I, um, I would almost, I'd rather put in the extra work and do it all myself, man, because then I know when a painting is being sold and I know I'm where the money's going. I've had people in the past and in the recent past that have, you know, I've had a couple pieces in a consignment store and they've sold the piece and not told me. And then... When I uh, I was doing a job for him and got confronted by the person that bought it, and they're like, "Hey, man, I love this painting, blah blah blah. Um, I got it from this place." And I was like, "Wait, when did you get that? And how much did you pay for it? And all that." And so, you know, when you confront the shop owner about that, and they deny that they sold it, and then I, I don't know. So it was just a bad deal. I had to cut ties with people. Yeah, oh, I mean, I mean, that stuff has happened to everybody. You know, you you said you've got a little horror story. There's there's tons of that. People will take advantage of artists, um, especially on murals. Have you ever been ripped off on a mural? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Several times. Learning experiences. I va- Absolutely. I, I actually value <laughs> when I get ripped off because it's like, all right, how do I protect myself from that happening in the future? And it exactly. changes the way it changes the way that I run my business and uh it sucks. Probably if you add it up like all the amounts of money that I've been ripped off over my career, it would probably be like tens of thousands of dollars. But it, it's like, you know, I didn't go to art school either. You didn't go to art school. I didn't go to business school. Uh, yeah. It's like, uh, it's like the, the real world. Paying like, for the education. education. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you pay for that education one way or another. So uh, it's yeah. definitely changed the way that I do my proposals. It's changed the way that I do my mural contracts. It's changed the way that I communicate with clients, just uh, evolving and adapting and like rolling with the punches. Uh, but yeah, definitely been ripped off. Um, and there's just shady people in every profession. And there's also really, really good, amazing people. And luckily for me, the amazing, good, honest people have vastly outnumbered the scumbags. And sometimes when I lose money or get ripped off, it really boils down to miscommunication from both parties. Uh, there's been a few times where people are just like straight up intentionally like being scumbags, but um, probably more than half the times where things got a little iffy, it's just like, okay, we didn't communicate 
um, properly with each other. And I had one set of expectations and you had another set of expectations. And in the future, I'm definitely going to communicate what my expectations are more thoroughly and like kind of let you know what needs to go down. And that's just part of the game, you know. Uh, every once in a while, you've got to chalk up an L, you know. That's, that's just how it happens. And I think the way that you react to something like that, you know, from this past experience, it's definitely a learning experience, you know. And um, you, like you're saying, it's like, okay, this, is gonna, this changes the way that I do my proposals. This changes the way that I communicate with clients, you know. This, this, now there's a need for a mural contract, you know, with a kill fee that's at the bottom, you know. There's a... Once you get out there and start working more, then you, then you come into these experiences and you're like, oh, I never even knew that that was real. Now I've got to, you know, now I've kind of got to cover my back. Um, are you familiar with the uh, Jeff Soto case or the Revoke case? You know those guys. Um, every once in a while, someone will have a have a mural that's posted up, and then someone will put like a car in front of it and blast it all over their advertising. Yeah, like the adver- ha- ha- Yeah. Yeah, have you ever come into any issues with that, or is there anything that you do to protect yourself from those issues? Um, I've I've worked a lot with ad agencies in the past, and there's been a few different occasions where I get a call or an email from a PA saying, "Hey, we're we're at a location here. We're filming a commercial for uh, or whatever, and we'd like to." Uh, shoot some stuff in front of this mural here would you you know and they actually pay me like i've been really lucky and i've actually been paid on what two or three different occasions just for like commercials to be filmed in front of my murals that are on the street so there are good ad agencies out there there are ad agencies that know the rules and are respectful of artists and i've worked directly um, with other ad agencies where they had me create original murals specifically for the commercial. That's happened on like three or four different occasions with some really cool companies. And there's like right ways to do it. And then there's the ways where it's like, you know, the cases that you're talking about. It's kind of a tricky situation. Um, that whole thing of like, it's on the street, it's public, but once that you're like just taking it and using it to advertise a product, it's like, that just seems wrong. Right. Like, (laughs) yeah, it seems. Yeah. yeah. Well, have Um, you ever had anybody, people in the comments like always bring up, like, should these ad agencies be paying the architects to film their buildings, which is like Mm. an interesting point. Mm. And I don't, I don't know how deep down the rabbit hole this all go goes, but it just seems like, if an ad agency thinks that a piece of artwork is dope and they want to use it to be associated with their product and make their product seem cooler, like the artist, I think, should get some compensation for that. Totally. Absolutely. Um, have you ever run across uh, any of your T-shirt designs that have been, like, jacked and printed somewhere else in the world? Um, not, not by strangers. There's been, uh, there's been some situations where... Uh, some business associates were not behaving <laughs> the way they were supposed to with licensed artwork and stuff. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they're out there. Who yeah. knows? You know, <laughs> it's like that's that's the flip. We were talking about galleries, right? And galleries, like, it's kind of an antiquated system. They, like, take your art 
and they like quote unquote represent you and they take like half your money. But now like all of us artists have this power in our pocket where we can, we can show tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people our artwork just by clicking upload. And the power is in the hands of the artists now, but also you lose a lot of control you know, like once that your art is out on the internet, it's like you don't know <laughs> what's going on with it, really. You know, especially yeah. with all the technology we have, like you could download a JPEG, bring it into Illustrator, and like print it whatever size you want. And uh, I don't know, man. It's like so much benefit and so much goodness and so much income comes from the fact that I'm able to share my art freely with a huge amount of people that. I think that vastly outweighs the the occasional like tricky situation that pops up from the availability of my artwork online. Totally. And I think that at the end of the day, the artist will always prevail. You know, I had one of my designs that was jacked and then put on these like terrible rave sweatpants and rave t-shirts. And they just, they took one of my designs and then just put like a rainbow gloss on everything. And it was pretty bad, but you know, it's one of those things. It's like, okay, well I had that out there for the world. Now I'm just going to do one more painting, like a master, you know, edition of it, retire the design and keep moving on. You know, it's like, you can have that design. I got a million better ideas. You know, I've forgot better things than they, they can steal from me so it's like I don't know for me it's like you just got to keep moving forward you know it's uh it's all about the long run because all that all that nonsense is here today and gone tomorrow you know for me it's all about longevity and establishing myself and and being able to carry on this career for my entire life you know I don't see I don't see a retirement or an end game in anywhere in sight um do you have did you hit those did you hit those people up who stole your art did you reach out to them yeah but it was I don't know, man. It, it was one of those things. I didn't have it copywritten. I didn't have anything, you know. I And w- what am I going to do? I'm going to get a lawyer and then put out a cease and desist. And by that point, you've already, I don't know. See, that's, it's kind of difficult for artists to stand up for ourselves in some situations. And, uh, and again, it's like, say if you go to bat with a company that's got a million dollars in, you know, uh, legal, you know, just legal retainers, that they've got a lawyer that they can you know, come out and then they can push back court dates and make this, you know, it's financially, who's got the money to outlast who at that point? And it's not worth it to me. So I would rather just move on from the design. Um, do you have, uh, since then I've, I've began copywriting my designs though. Do you have any copyrights on your designs? No, not really. The other thing is, is like if a company jacks my stuff, I feel like there's also the whole like trial by internet thing. <laughs> like I would just yeah, put exactly. them on blast so hard. Like yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that's like that's kind of what when you're talking about like uh, Revoc and Revoke and uh, Jeff Jeff Soto. Like they got uh, the companies that took their art definitely got some like hardcore hate money on the internet. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah, that too. <laughs> like. Yeah. Uh, a lot a lot of times like the bad PR like they they can manipulate us with their large bank accounts and their team of lawyers but if you're if you've got some kind of clout on the internet you can kind of answer back with like <laughs> your your people that are going to support you Man, on that note, I don't know, this is a side note, have you seen how the people that are making the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, how they pulled the Sonic Hedgehog movie and they're completely redesigning Sonic because the internet hated him? Yeah. 
that's the that's, thing, man. Yeah. Is like you, you got to listen to the people. Sometimes I do that in my own personal art career. Like, of course, like number one, you should always be making art that makes you happy and makes you feel good and like makes you feel like you're following your own creative vision. But we have we have this like amazing huge like test group of people online, and you can like put your designs out, ask people what they think. Like, do you like this one better? Do you like that one better? And if you, if you listen to your clients while keeping in mind that you need to like be true to yourself, um, it's a really good resource for people who are trying to do art as a way to support themselves and a way to like, you know, have their income come from their own creativity. So to me, like I really value the opinions of most of my fans and followers and stuff. So Hats off to the Sonic people, cause like that Sonic was mad janky. <laughs> yeah, yo, yeah, that's uh, that's crazy though. Yeah, the internet's a powerful thing, man. It's wild. So let's talk murals for a second. Um, you've traveled, you've done a lot of traveling, right? Yeah, well, I've done a moderate amount of traveling. I've got murals in uh, Brazil and Japan. So that's like the only international murals I have. I, I've traveled around the U.S. doing a bunch of murals, and then. I have plans in August to go and do... It kind of came from a a collaboration opportunity with a YouTuber that I like in Germany. And uh, and then... So I'm going to go over to Germany and definitely, like, collab with this dude. And then I'm just trying to string together a few more cities so it's, like, can make the most out of the trip, you know? And just, like, try and spread my art around Europe a little bit. But I travel... I definitely travel from time to time but i'm not like super world traveler murals on every continent or anything like that okay okay where were what was your favorite place to travel tell me about japan a little bit man the whole you know the the japanese aesthetic is just crazy in itself yeah it's a you know a lot of the japanese aesthetic has been an influence on my art for a long time and actually going to Japan and experiencing the culture firsthand really kind of uh it intensified that I guess and I was always kind of approaching it from an outsider's perspective and from from my experience in Japan like Japanese people are very proud of their culture and they think it's like super awesome and they're like why wouldn't people love our culture cuz we're like the coolest <laughs> and I'm like yeah you're right uh yeah. so there's a dude who kind of came to visit the United States and he owns a few businesses over in, in Japan and in Tokyo and Osaka. And he came into my shop, the shop that I had before Statics, and he just like loved everything and was super hyped. So I started doing some designs for his uh, stores in Japan and they had they were selling my stuff in Japan and Tokyo and Osaka. And then like I went over there and kicked it with him for like a month. He speaks like pretty good English and uh yeah, painted a bunch of murals over there. Got to vibe out with Taboo One and Kazrock, a couple like legendary uh Tokyo graffiti artists and did some collaborations with them. And then I went back for a second trip. <clears throat> Brought my wife that time. Chilled in Japan, made a few more murals, painted some paintings, like it's just really really good vibes, super like crazy polite and safe society like we would ride our bikes around tokyo and like go shopping all day and have like these baskets on the front of our bikes would be like full of shopping bags and 
Takuya, my friend, I would be like, let's like go into this store. We should grab all of our bags. And he's like, no, you can just leave it. We would just like leave our full shopping bags on the street. Like so safe in this like insanely populated city. And like people would be at the bar and they would just like leave their wallet on the bar to save their space and like go off to the bathroom or go out, like have a smoke or whatever. And I'm just like, this is insane. Like this would never happen in the United States. At least <laughs> That'll like, never happen from in Seattle. Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, dude, like Seattle, I've had my car windows smashed out like a dozen times. I've had stuff stolen from me like at least once a year. There's, it's just like such a different culture. Um, but yeah, it's clean, safe, polite, beautiful, amazing art, amazing culture. I don't know, man. It's just like really energizing to experience different cultures. And I feel like everyone should like have to travel because it really shows you there's not just one way to do whatever, you know, like there's not just the American way. There's like all these different ways of, of being and the more cultures and the more places that you experience, it just opens your mind to the fact that like you don't have all the answers and you can always be learning and that's why like travel is so important to me. And I'm so blessed and so happy to be able to travel and do what I love, like have a purpose for my travel to go and like create beauty in the world around me, share my art and visit new places and let other cultures and people like experience my art. And in return, I get to experience their amazing, beautiful culture and countries. It's so sick. Man, that's amazing, and yeah, I think that you, I think you're right. Everyone should should have to travel, you know. That it breaks, it makes us all human, you know. We're all we're all the same, just trying to make it in this world. Just because you live a hundred miles this way and I live a hundred miles that way, that doesn't change us as people. That doesn't change the fact that we want to be happy and that we want to be able to supply for our family and provide for our community and the people around us. You know, that doesn't change just because your skin color is different or you know you live in a different part of the world i think that everybody at the end of the day really wants to be happy healthy and have a beautiful family around them in a beautiful community so it's cool that japan is like that man i want i, I want to visit tokyo so bad man um but i do need to ask you though tell me about that uh that throat lozenge kit kat <laughs> uh man they got some weird kit kats over there they got some weird everything <laughs> over there like it's just like, I don't know, man. It was a Kit Kat that was the flavor of throat lozenges on the packaging. That? They had this. It was nasty. <laughs> it tasted like medicine, bro. Oh, but it was gosh. like, it's the kind of nasty where it's also like kind of addicting. Like you have, you have your first bite and you're like, oh, this is gross. And then you're like, I should probably have one more bite. And then you're like, I should probably oh, snap, finish, I just finish that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, man, I don't know. Like. Their vending machine game is, like, super crazy. Like, everything is sold in vending machines there. Um, I don't know, man. It's it's just so, like, jam-packed, full of crazy visuals. Everything has, like, a cute little anime mascot. Even, like, a insurance company or a plumbing company has, like, a cute little anime mascot. Like, the type of businesses you would least expect to have a cute mascot. Like, I don't know. I just... I love the culture. I love the people. I love the art style, whether it be anime or more traditional Japanese art. Like, it's just cool. And then, like, Brazil is almost the complete opposite of, of, 
of uh, Japan in every way. Like <laughs> Brazil, the people are a lot more passionate, a lot more free and open and wild, and it's not you know it's not quite as uh, clean and safe and everything. And but it's still just amazing tropical paradise, super beautiful. Going to Brazil is like one of my favorite um, gigs I've ever done in my life. Super amazing. But yeah, and I what, mean, what were you doing there? Um, I had I have these clients that first of all she was like a huge fan of my music like way back in the day went to a bunch of my shows loved my music and then when I started doing art she really was kind of digging on that she started buying like a few paintings for me each year but like getting paintings down to Brazil is like super difficult the customs are like super gangster there and eventually she kind of just figured out like if she just flew me down and just like kind of had me be an artist in residence she's like got this amazing beautiful like mansion compound on this like beautiful beach resort town as soon as i got off the plane she like took me on this like helicopter tour of rio de janeiro we were eating like five star meals every night like just honestly living like this rich playboy lifestyle down in brazil like i don't know the real brazil all i know is this like crazy amazing version of brazil and it's like the best gig i've ever had in my life and it like i did that mural probably it was probably like my third or fourth mural ever and it's just nothing has it's been all downhill from there like best <laughs> ever and I've, I've been back um another time and then i'm probably going to be going back down there again in november and it's like yo i don't know man i'm just like you super got married lucky. there <laughs> yeah oh, i proposed to my wife there um nice we got married we got married in the states uh but yeah epic surfing and the murals that i paint are like right by the swimming pool so like when i get too hot in the brazilian sun you just kind of jump in the pool and bro i don't know dude it's all downhill from there basically <laughs> that's sick man uh so what what do you think the uh biggest mural you've ever painted is um I did one in Long Beach, California that was like 150, 200 feet long and like 30 feet tall. Really, really big. I did one in Kansas City. Was that a part of a festival? Well, Long Beach Powwow was actually going on while I was down there, but I got brought down by the business association of this neighborhood in Long Beach called Bixby Knowles. And they brought me down separate from powwow but it just so happened that it was going on and like everybody thought i was there for powwow and i got to like kick it at the powwow events and meet all the powwow artists and like that was super duper rad um and then in kansas city i did like a super huge one probably like 100 feet long 30 feet tall and then i did a couple six-story murals here in seattle but those were like I painted paintings. We scanned them at super high resolution, like ultra crazy high resolution, and then printed them out on vinyl six stories tall. So that one kind of counts, but it kind of doesn't because I didn't physically paint those murals. But it was really nerve-wracking, like painting actual paintings like out in my garage and knowing that like every stroke I laid down it's like this is going to be blown up like 24 times the size. So like freaking focus on these details because they're like, it, it was kind of a nerve wracking experience. And then I had to coordinate with like the vinyl guy and I had to coordinate with the art scanning facility and I had to coordinate with like the building owners and their like construction company. And it was one of the, actually one of the hardest projects I've ever done, even though it seems like it should be the easiest because all I had to do was like paint the paintings and then they were going to like 
print it out and stick it on the wall. It was like kind of a nightmare job. And it just like, I don't know. It, it was tricky. The back end logistical stuff of it was mad tricky. Yeah. It was in a tricky location too, right? Yeah. It was like in these light wells that were like completely sealed off. We had to climb through these like tiny squeeze through these windows, even to just get in there. There's no doorway into there. If there was ever a fire in those damn light wells, like I don't even know what they would do. Like <laughs> they'd have to oh, like geez. helicopter in or something. Holy shit. Well, let's yeah. talk about that. Um, a couple like mural necessities, you know? I mean, every once in a while I'm out painting a piece and then I'll be like, damn it, this is the one thing that I don't have, you know? Um, do you have any do you have any mural essentials or any studio essentials when you're going out? Um a big ass sombrero or sun hat is always like number one <laughs> on my list. Um, I just, just all the, you know, brushes and paints and spray paint and caps. And sometimes I use a projector. Sometimes I don't, uh, rollers and bucket paint. I have a video on my YouTube channel called mural supply checklist, where I literally just like go through every single mural supply that I bring to murals. And, um, I just, <laughs> It's helpful for me sometimes. It's like I throw that video on and I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot my drop cloths, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Man, you, yeah, you've got but, a video for everything. Even your video gear, you've got a video for. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that constant, uh, that constant uh, quest for content. <laughs> it's like, what can I make a video about this time? No, but I mean, I think that that's huge. I mean, that's a lot of people, you know, I'm, I'm in the process of buying a camera and getting some gear together now. Um, so yeah, that's, that's definitely a helpful video for any of our listeners that are artists or just out there trying to create some video content for themselves. Check out the homies video. Uh, yeah, his YouTube channel and his videos there. Um, let's see here. So yeah, that six story tall vinyl, man, that's, that's insane. Trying to organize that on the back end. Has there any, has there been any other clients that have been difficult like that? Just like the logistics of it. I do a ton of, um, murals for like really huge corporations and those ones are, um, tricky in some ways and easier in other ways. They're trickier because, a lot of times you're on conference calls with a committee and like everybody has their little input and there's like approvals and there's insurance. And, um, I did one, I did one mural for a giant corporation where I was like a subcontractor of a subcontractor of a subcontractor. And I like, I never even talked to anybody from the corporation. It's just like all these sort of like chain of command things, but then they're also easier because, a lot of times when I'll do like mom and pop murals or like murals for a small client, they're super duper invested and they have lots of revisions and changes and they want to make sure that this piece of art represents them and their business in the, the most perfect way. And there'll be a lot more back and forth, but these like giant mega corporations are just like, cool, we love it, you know, paint it, whatever. Like, it seems like they've got so many other things going on that they just want to like get this project rolling and like get it done. And it seems like when I work with giant companies, it's less fussy and less revision. So, um, but yeah, it's just, once you get into that corporate world, there's just a lot more things to think about and, um, just like a lot more kind of moving pieces and, also, like, on the YouTube videos that I make about those guys, like, a lot of times they're like, oh, you can't say our name in the video. You have to sign, like, contracts and, like, NDAs and 
to me like there's making layers videos. to all of it yeah the most whenever i do a project making a video about it is like really really important to me because if i make a mural for a corporate office literally the only people who are ever gonna see it are the employees of that company like these elite tech workers that like that's their cool like hip you know office and i want to share my art with more people so like the only way i can really do that is through the video unless you end up getting hired by that company so um that's whenever i get hit up by a big corporation or company i'm like listen i'm gonna do this thing so how do you guys want to play this? Do you want me to not say your name? Do you want me to only shoot like a certain, you know, not film your facility? So that's always a little bit of a tricky situation as well. But I, I got to film it. You know, I'm like a freaking YouTuber yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's sick, man. Yeah, you work for huge clients, man, and, and tons of clients. Uh, do you have any, do you have a dream client or a dream project you'd like to do? My dream has always been to be happy and comfortable living off of my own creativity. And I'm like living my dream right now. And a lot of times I just like look at my email inbox and there's like some cool project waiting in my email. And I just decide whether I want to say yes or whether I want to say no. And, um, you know, a lot of these like self-help dudes or like uh, these business entrepreneurs, they're always like, what's your dream? What's the next goal? What's the next thing that you're striving to do? And like, I'm just chilling in this like happy pocket of creativity where I'm able to support myself and my family off of my artwork. And I don't have some big crazy dream client or some big like new ambitious goal. I just want to like make art, be happy and not have to stress too much about money. You know what I'm saying? Like, living totally. it bro yeah. hell yeah hell yeah living the dream man and that that's amazing bro and you can tell you know just talking to you you know i mean fucking a man the gratitude floats through you i mean the love floats through you it's it's amazing to uh it's great to hear an artist talk like that you know because every once in a while <clears throat> i don't i don't know you know it's it's really difficult to separate business and art and oftentimes once you start adding dollar signs to the equation it gets real sticky real quick and that can discourage a lot of people you know seeing behind the curtain can discourage a lot of people or seeing how the hot dogs made we'll say that but you have man you've got such a great grasp on that and such a cool attitude like that's that's badass man that's that's awesome thank you man i'm very 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 thankful and i really i really do understand how lucky i am to be able to do what I like to do most of the time and have people support and appreciate it because there's so many people who don't get that. And I say all the time on my YouTube channel, like even if, even if it's not the way that you support yourself, even if it's not like your job, try to find time to do what you're passionate about because not only does it feel good, but it's like good for your mind. It's like therapeutic and, it doesn't mean you have to abandon all of your responsibilities, quit your job and just be like, I'm going to be a starving artist. I'm going to try this. Like I did it the really safe way. But if you can find some time to do what's important to you, be creative, do what you love. It'll, I feel like for me, it'll just make you an all around like happier and more complete person. Um, so I'm just so, so thankful and so lucky and so appreciative of the fact that I'm able to do what I love to do. It's crazy. Man, Tin Hun keeping it a thousand right now. That's awesome, man. <laughs>
That's awesome. Yeah, so man. let's talk about your music a little bit. I um I, I saw one of your videos where you make music or whatever, and I thought that that was really interesting. But you mentioned earlier that you've done shows and all kinds of stuff. So tell me about tell me about the music side of Tin Hun. Yeah. Well, let me take it back, man. Uh, take when it I was back. Fourteen year, <laughs> when I was fourteen years old, uh. I, I got real interested in like some music making programs on my computer and I went to my dad and I was like, dad, I'm going to set up a recording studio in my bedroom. And my dad's reply was no electric guitars after 11 o'clock at night. And I was off and running and I <laughs> set up a recording studio in my bedroom. I charged $10 a song. So like every band, I grew up in Michigan and like every band in like a 50 mile radius was like coming to my stupid little bedroom recording studio. Cause you could do like a whole album for like a hundred bucks. And for me, it was like experience, experience, experience. Like I just want to, I just want to dive into this world and learn. And I love music. And, um, I was working with death metal band one day and then a gospel acapella group the next day and then a, a gangster rapper the next day you know like my prices were so crazy cheap that like everybody worked with me so by the time I graduated high school um, I had like four years of like running a studio under my belt and like literally the day after I walked down the aisle and graduated I had jumped in my car and started driving down to Florida. I went to school at Full Sail um, in Damn, Orlando, in Orlando. Exactly. Yeah, and I did, I did really good at Full Sail. I had a ton of knowledge going in, and then uh, Full Sail just taught me, like, all the actual technical stuff, like what I was doing wrong, what I was already doing right. I did really good at that school, like, won a few awards and stuff, and it was like, that was cool. I had a great time, and then I moved out to L.A., and... Uh, started interning at Westlake studio where like Michael Jackson did thriller. And I actually moved in across the street from my dream studio called the village, went in for an interview. They were like, uh, yeah, you're cool. We don't have any room for anybody right now. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll kind of, I'll call back and see if you have room. And then I called them every single week for six months straight. And I was like, yo, it's Peter. Like I had that interview just checking. (laughs) They were getting like so tired of me. Finally, like I got a call from the CEO of the Village Recording Studio, and he was like, "My buddy needs a Pro Tools operator." His name was Shadow Stevens. He did like the the weekly top forty before like Rick D's. He was like a D list celebrity. He was on a um, sitcom in like the nineties or whatever. I don't even remember what it was called. His daughter was like a model. It was so I would go over to his like Malibu mansion, put together all of his like internet radio shows. And I was doing a killer job. Like I was way faster than the guy he had before. So Shadow calls up the the CEO of the village and he's like, this dude's awesome. So I get a job at the village. It's across the street from my house because I was like, I'm just going to move in across the street. Like this is where I'm going to work. Like come hell or high water. So I worked there for a while, moved up to Seattle later, uh, started my own recording studio, started a couple bands. The bands got as popular as you could get and still be like a regional band. We'd never like broke out national, but in like the Northwest area, we were performing for like 10,000 people and like selling out clubs and like doing all the stuff that you could do, had a manager and like a booking agent and stuff. And like music was like, uh, music was my passion and my focus for like from 14 to like 27 and I made beats, I made hip hop music, I rapped, I sang, I, you know, produced a bunch of other people's albums, recorded people, mixed people, mastered people. And then 
during that time period, I started getting into drugs uh, pretty hard and heavy. And um, eventually it came to a point where I just kind of hit rock bottom, called my dad, said, dude, I got to like, I'm a drug addict. I got to get out of here. So I went back to Michigan for like nine months to get clean and sober. And while I was there, that's when I really kind of started painting and posting my art online. And like people were buying my paintings and I was like totally shocked and surprised. And, uh, and I was getting a lot of support from my family. I was really enjoying myself. I was understanding the therapeutic value of art, especially during my recovery and people were buying my art. So it was like bonus income and appreciation. And it just made me feel super good. So I just like kept doing it. And I kind of replaced all of that addictive energy that I was devoting to hardcore substances and just funneled it into my art and creativity. And I just became like an art making machine and it just like took over my life. And music now is kind of really on the back burner. I make a lot of the beats in the background of my videos and, uh, and it's not for some artist. It's not for some project or for some album. It's just like relaxing, chill, make some beats, throw it on my YouTube video. Like it's really like art used to be the way I would relax and music used to be my business. And that's just completely flip flopped. So that's a brief history of (laughs) my whole music career. That's sick, man. That's amazing, brother. Ah, that's, uh, that's powerful, bro. And, um, we won't spend too much time on it, but to touch on, I, I went through my own personal experience, uh, experience with substance abuse and, you know, drug addiction. Um, and that was a real turning point in my life, you know, that hitting, hitting rock bottom, getting out of jail and then not being able to get a job anywhere because I have criminal charges on my, on my history, you know, and it's, uh, that's so art was kind of like the, it was the one thing that I could do and I actually started making money on that I would, I wouldn't have to do a background check or anything like that, you know, and, um, you mentioned being, you know, using art as like a, it's a meditation. It's a uh, it's a positive way for people to express themselves. Man, we lose we've lost so many artists and so many young people to um, you know, suicide, drug overdose, substance abuse issues and it's a uh, it plagues artists, I think. And a lot of people do have that starving artist mentality where it's like, "Oh, I've got to drink from the moment I wake up to the moment I pass out and hopefully do some paintings in between." It's like, "Man, that's not how it's done, you know? There's no little there's not a magic elf that comes to the studio and does all your paintings for you, unless you're Jeff Koons. But um, so getting clean and, and trying to figure out, you know, addiction and, and using using that addictive energy to kind of to make your life better and to create something better. Um, I think that that's powerful. You've done you did a uh, tribute piece for Chris Cornell that I thought was really powerful, man. Um do you, do, you, do you care to touch on that at all? I mean, to get to go back into it and, and really tell artists or uh, anybody out there that's going through a little stint of depression or substance abuse that you can make decisions today that can change the rest of your life for the better, you know? Yeah. Um, for me, I didn't get arrested. Thank God. Uh, it was more like going into that realm of suicide that was my rock bottom and... You know, after, like, I tried it, man, and it failed, and thank God it did, and that's kind of when I called my dad. But I think that the artist's mind, oftentimes we 
are like I have anxiety and I have a social awkwardness and I'm always overthinking and I think some of that feeds into my creativity but being able to turn my brain off through drugs and alcohol I think was uh, one of the things that really kept me coming back to it um, and led me down this dark path but while I'm creating art I'm focusing so hard on all these tiny details and my brain goes into different wavelengths and I just get lost in this world that I'm creating. And I've found that that's like my new way to kind of turn my brain off and calm myself and (laughs) give myself therapy. And yeah, man, I just, uh, I've said recently in in a video that I just produced that in order to truly appreciate the good times, you have to have some knowledge of the bad times. And in order to enjoy the light, you have to understand the dark. And I'm thankful for every life experience that I've had. And there's been some really, really dark times. And things are going real, real good for me right now. And I am so appreciative and so thankful. And I know how bad and how dark it can get. And because of that, it makes me even more thankful. So if anybody's listening to this and going through a similar thing that I had or that you had, I would just encourage them to ask for help like I did. I was able to call my dad. I had a loving and supportive family. But, you know, there's other resources. There's there's mental health resources. There's the National Suicide Hotline. There's drug addiction counseling. And it can get better. And if you can if you can get yourself out of your current situation and get some help, it can get so 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 much better. And you you know I just I hope that people that are struggling like I was struggling can get themselves out of it and get to a good place and be able to look back on those dark times and truly truly appreciate that things are good now and. I don't know, man, I'm, I'm like getting all, all deep and like dark and everything, but like it's one of the most important times in my life because now I really, really know how good things are. And <laughs> I just encourage people to get help, I guess. That's amazing, man. And thank you for opening up about that. And, uh, you know, being vulnerable is actually a strength, I believe, you know, and the more honest we are with ourselves, um, with our pasts, you know, the the less, the more demons that we can battle on the day to day, you know, and, um, you got to be aware of it, you know, a little bit of self-awareness and, uh, that's, that's powerful, brother. Thank you so much. Um, man, I've, I've had you for almost an hour on the phone. Time is flying. Uh, so thank you, man. You're a badass human, an incredible artist, and, uh, I'm grateful for your presence. Thank you so much for talking to me, man. Thank you so much to you too, man. Like, All the same goes to you. I really appreciate this conversation, and thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Absolutely, brother. It was an honor and a pleasure. Um, Go ahead and tell people where they can find you. Uh, Tell them your Instagram, your website, and uh, your YouTube. My YouTube is, if you type in 1000, spelled out with letters, that's me. Uh, My (laughs) Instagram is at 1000, T-E-N-H-U-N. My website is 1000art.com. Say what's up, holler at your boy, (laughs) subscribe, whatever. Thanks for listening. Absolutely, brother. Thank you once again. Cheers to the 100K and good luck on your Euro tour. 
Thank you all for listening. Follow us on Instagram at Outside Voice Studios and then online, outsidevoicestudios.com. Peace.